Hey, hey, what's going on, guys? Tom Work is here, and welcome back to another broadcast of In the Trenches, where I interview today's top experts and thought leaders and extract practical insights you can apply to your own creative projects, business, or whatever it is you're doing. Quick shout out to five-star reviewer GTM. Quote, I love this podcast. Educational, entertaining conversations with people who are in the trenches, building what they love and contribute to the world. End quote. GT, you get it, my man or my lady. So thank you for the review. Shoot me an email at tom at tomworkus.com and I'll ship you a signed copy of The Art of Instigating. By the way, if you guys are listening to this right now, a new batch of copies just came in. So I have at least 20 more copies of The Art of Instigating that I can sign and send out to those who are interested. If you want a book, do something awesome and just let me know about it. An example of something awesome might be something like writing an honest five-star review for this podcast. Just go to tommorcus.com slash iTunes, leave a review, and then shoot me an email, tom at tommorcus.com, and I'll see what I can do to get that sent out to you. Uh, only promises are for sure for people who are located in the US, but if you're outside of the continental United States, I'll see what I can do, okay? So definitely reach out still. Speaking of awesome things, today I sit down with David Hassel. David is a business columnist and speaker and is co-founder and CEO of 15.5. He and his team have developed industry-leading people management software to drive high performance for over 2,000 customers via a suite of features including weekly check-ins, OKR tracking, one-on-ones, and much more. While at 15.5, David created the science-inspired best self-management methodology that helps leaders and managers address the hidden factors that stimulate sustainable growth and development. Things like intrinsic motivation, positivity, and psychological safety in the workplace. David and the team practice best self-management and use 15.5 internally, which they credit with their near zero attrition, rapid growth, and awards like Inc.'s best place to work and ranking number three on Glassdoor's best place to work list for companies with fewer than 1,000 employees. I brought David on the call today to talk about the transition to and optimization of remote work. This conversation is geared at leaders, managers, and owners who now find themselves maybe thrust into a remote team on the fly or a remote management situation on the fly. We also cover some ground for those who are established with remote teams and how to improve that performance across the board. So it's not just for newbies or beginners. If you're already working online, well, we also talk about ways that you can kind of optimize your remote work and working with a team that's distributed across the world. So my big takeaway, performance is a constant process that requires time and attention. You can't ignore it. But in the end, it will be a net positive if you do it right. And it will not be just a drain. It will not just be an expense, which I, I think a lot of people do feel that way. I felt that way in the past. Um, and I asked David a couple straight up questions about that, especially for small teams. It's like, how much time do you have to kind of put into this kind of thing when it doesn't seem like maybe a primary driver of growth? But as we kind of dissect it in the call and kind of break it down, you'll see that I think there's a lot of upside when you apply this correctly and you use levers that make it more automated and more scalable. So we get into all that in today's conversation. But before we get started, if you enjoyed today's call, if you enjoyed today's conversation, if you enjoyed the interview, please share on social, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever you are loving these days, share it. And also please leave a rating review on iTunes. An honest five-star review goes a long way to help spread the word. I don't have ads on this podcast and your reviews help spread the word. So go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes that's tommorcus.com slash iTunes, or search In the Trenches on Google or iTunes. Mine should pop up. It is the original. I think there's like dozens of other knockoff things with the same name, but In the Trenches with Tom Morcus, you should see it up there, and you can go ahead and leave a review. So thank you in advance for your support. Without further ado, let's get to today's interview. 
So David, let's kick off with a little bit of your backstory. Uh, how'd you get to what you're doing today? Uh, and we're gonna, I want to dive into 15 to 5 and everything you're doing. But give us some context. How'd you get into kind of the business or entrepreneurial pursuits yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I've, I've been entrepreneurial most of my life. I th- you know, I think the, the, one of the earliest seeds was... Um, I remember when I was in, in, in kind of middle school, 12 or 13 years old, my mom had given me, the, given me this newspaper clipping uh, from the New York Times that said, even a great idea is only an idea until you make it real. Um, and I had that hanging on my mirror in my bedroom. And there was just this... Uh, this kind of spark of this idea that the way the world was did you know I didn't have to live inside the way the world was that I could actually create things and um, you know I did entrepreneurial things in high school and in college uh, but after college I did get a job with a big consulting company uh, in 1998 and uh, I, w- I was bored to tears frankly <laughs> in the uh, in the job I, I you know I called the uh, the place I worked be- beige cubicle land. Uh, I was working in this windowless computer office from nine in the morning till seven thirty at night, building uh, insurance technology. I was a technologist, and uh, despite two raises in ten months, and uh, you know, certainly I was a high performer. Um, I, I really was disenchanted, I think, with um, with this particular path, and uh, you know, that burning entrepreneurial desire, coupled with the fact that it was late nineteen ninety nine, and you know, there were opportunities for 23-year-old kids to go out and raise money and actually build something. Uh, kind of propelled me into entrepreneurship earlier than I think I would have expected. Uh, and I started an ad tech company in... Co-founded an ad tech company in New York City in late 1999, just months before the big bubble burst and dot-com crash. Ouch. Uh, and then kind of weathered that storm. Well, the good news was we had actually raised... Uh, a bunch of money um, prior to that. Well, you know, it wasn't a ton. It was $800,000. But you know, for me, that was a lot of money at the time. So, so you know, we pivoted to this agency with with proprietary te- technology, and I learned a ton about business at the time. How to how to actually build a team, how to run a company, and all the all the things about running a business. But you know, I found myself about six or seven years into that feeling pretty dissatisfied and and really unfulfilled. Um, you know, and and at that point. You know, I've been hearing a lot of different things. I've, I've been working in, on myself and had learned about um, ideas uh, like the unique ability from strategic to coach, which was this, this this concept that you know we all have this unique set of uh, of areas that we are both talented that we might have innate skills as well as passions. And when you find that intersection, there's the sweet spot where you can do work that is inherently fulfilling and energizing and all of that kind of stuff. So it had that philosophical orientation. And then I also met Simon Sinek, who's now become quite famous for his, his work. And, and that was a couple of years before uh, his now famous TED Talk that you know, he rose to prominence. Mm-hmm. And, and that concept of why, you know, these two things together had me feeling like, okay, this isn't exactly the kind of work that I want to be doing, but I'm really glad that I learned how to, to grow and build a business. And at that time, I was, I was feeling a little burned out. This was the end of uh, probably 2005. And I'd just gotten into kite surfing at the time, which was, was pretty early on the curve of that, you know, the evolution of that sport, 2004, 2005. And um, I decided you know, it was time to move on. And I started an, an adventure travel company in Brazil for kite surfers. And at the time, uh, you know, I kind of had this, this idea in my mind that, okay, if you're not fulfilled doing the thing uh, you know that isn't your passion. Maybe you should follow your passion. 
And I like to joke now that you know my first business was chasing the money, but there was no passion. My second business was chasing the passion, but there was no money. And, and after 10 years of that, I finally woke up and realized, well, maybe you can do the two of those together, uh, which is what 15.5 is all about. Uh, my current company, uh, we're a performance management and employee engagement platform that's really oriented on changing the paradigm of business from one where to one where companies thrive by supporting their people and thriving, not at the expense of them. And, and how do you actually build cultures that bring out the best in people and create psychological safety and intrinsic motivation and a true win-win between employers and their employees such that you know uh, the people in the company get to do the best work of their lives and feel fulfilled in the process and the company can be wildly successful. Uh, and that and that really drives me and has driven me over the last ten years in building building this company. Do you guys have a particular like emphasis on remote work, or does it just happen that you got you built it remotely, so to speak? You know, a little bit of both. So um, we actually we're, we consider ourselves a remote first company, uh, and obviously in this this time of COVID, uh, you know, even though we had probably fifty percent of our employees working from offices. We didn't miss a beat when everybody went remote because you know we built the infrastructure, and I had actually built fifteen five as a tool to manage remote workers for myself because I'm a remote CEO. Um, but we 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 historically hadn't marketed as such, um, but it just happens to be one of those things that it's one of the one of the things that does really well is yes supports managers and managing remote teams. Okay, so I want to ask you about specifically gearing this question right now initially to people who are making the transition online, maybe forced to yes. uh, by circumstance. What are the things that they should keep in mind, kind of critical infrastructure things to implement to make, say, that transition to remote work, uh, working with a remote team possible or make yeah. it even more effective? Um, you know, I, I just wrote a long article on Medium about this, uh, and and it goes into goes into depth on this, and it's it's had pretty wide acclaim because it you know kind of goes through all the like cultural practices and rituals, but also the mindset. And the mindset is is the first piece. You have to understand that there's a lot of things that naturally happen when people are co-located and working in an office together, um, and and a lot of that is the is the the informal human connection that gives both a sense of connectedness and belonging and, and relationship uh, that goes out the window when you are all of a sudden remote. And the mistake most people make is they, they start optimizing for the work product. Okay, these are the tasks and projects we need to get done. We're just checking in on the business. And because that level of, of human connection is now not just happening naturally, what most people then experience is a deficit of it. So... You have some people who feel disconnected and lonely. You have some people who, um, you know, their work and their engagement starts to suffer because they're not feeling that sense of cultural connectedness that they had previously. So uh, all those things are actually quite easy to to accomplish and to and to provide the same um, results and needs, the human needs, basically that we need to feel a sense of connection and belonging and uh, and and whatnot. But you have to engineer them in. And so oftentimes it requires bringing people together on a more regular basis and creating spaces for them to have those kinds of dialogues. So some of the things that we do is we use uh, you know, our kind of tech stack. Uh, Zoom and Slack are the two kind of foundational tools that we use. So I think about like Zoom is your conference room. It's where you come together. It's where you come to meet. Or your, your, it could be your, your, uh, you know, your conference hall uh, if you're having an all-hands meeting. 
Uh, Slack is more like your open office. It's where all the dialogue is going to happen. And then on top of that, we obviously use 15.5 to do all of our weekly check-ins and one-on-ones and, and management. And then maybe some sort of project management tool like an Asana. Uh, and then a document tool like Quip or Notion or something like that. And having all those things uh, structured where people understand, you know, these are the, these are the things we're going to do in the different types of, types of communication we're going to have. In our company, we have a number of rituals that are designed to kind of foster that level of connection. The, the first is a, is a series of all-hands meetings that we have every single week, uh, every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific. And we have our teams spread out across from the West Coast U.S. to East Coast U.S. to Europe. Uh, so that time is the best time for... you know That still works within generally everybody's workday. Uh, and we call them our, our boosts. Uh, so our Monday boost... The main purpose there is to inform the company as to how we're doing against their objectives, what our numbers are, make announcements, introduce new hires, and kind of kick off the week. But what we actually do as a as a point of uh, you know kind of shared connection at, at the outset is we do a practice called Gratitude Monday. So my our chief culture officer Shane Metcalf uh, will pose something for us to consider together. Uh, and put our attention on, and this you know links to the science of positive psychology and the importance of gratitude and kind of shared practice, because we we tend to have a negativity bias. We tend to go into you know left to our own devices. We're we're going to be focused on what's wrong and not what's right. And there's actually a lot of science that shows that that leaves you in a negative state in terms of your ability to perform. So as a company, we practice this together. So it's individually beneficial, but it's also you know a bonding experience, and it could be anything completely mundane from you know, like running water to white blood cells or, you know, whatever it might be, things that we generally might take for granted. Uh, and we, you know, he shares for a minute or two. People will then, if they're in an office, uh, they'll turn to each other and, and share for a minute. Or now that we're all on Zoom, we'll do breakout rooms or people will post in our gratitude channel on Slack. And it's just a two-minute ritual that we do every Monday. Uh, so on Wednesdays, we do, we do another uh, practice. Um, where we tend to go more in depth, we have different departments are able to present on the status of their uh, their progress, whether it's the the revenue organization or it's marketing or product. They might give a, a longer update on a Wednesday, but it's preceded by a five minute guided meditation by someone in the company who takes this on for four weeks or for for each month, and and then at the end of the month they'll pass it on to somebody else, the meditation master, and they'll guide the, the entire company through a five minute meditation. And again, it's just we're we're promoting mindfulness, we're promoting this kind of shared sense of like we're all in this together. And then the thing we do on Friday is is uh, unique in that it doesn't, from the outside, have a clear business purpose. But we call it Question Friday. And again, one person in the company has chosen to be the question master for a month, and they'll come on the Zoom. And we've been doing this since we were five people, and now we're over two hundred. They'll come on the Zoom. They'll pose a question that's personal in nature. Um, it may be, you know, what was a dream you had as, you know, when you were younger that, that, you know, you gave up as you got older or, you know, just something that would be an interesting topic for, uh, you to learn about other people in the company. And then we push a button, you get into a random breakout group of 10 of your, uh, your peers and you go around and share this. And so we have a moment to connect with other people in the organization and learn about each other. And, you know, there are things that I'll, I'm still learning about my co-founders 10 years in that I would never have known. And these are the things that might just naturally happen if we were actually together in an office. And so we're engineering these points of connection and ritualizing them so that 
we have this shared experience, this sense of shared humanity, which is really critical. And then on Slack, we have different channels. So we have a working on channel where people can post, here's what I'm working on, or here's some great news, or here's a big accomplishment. Uh, we have a water cooler channel where people post you know, things they're seeing online or messages of support in this crazy time that we're in and gives people space to, to connect on a human level. There's a number of... You know, we have lots and lots of business-oriented channels. We have channels, private channel for our leadership team, public channels for, um, for different departments that are... You know, we we want to have more open like marketing and product and support and things like that. But then there's also a number of personal channels like parents of 15.5 where the parents are coming to talk and share about homeschooling practices uh, during this, this time we're all at home. Uh, pets of 15.5 where people are you know, kind of sharing about their pets and things like that. But you know, again, it's like creating the space for people to connect, I think is a really, really key thing. The other thing is, it's also important because we're not having that by default human interaction to change the way that you're doing meetings. So when we get on a meeting, my whole leadership team on Monday mornings or any meeting, frankly, we take a moment at the beginning to do some sort of emotional check-in. We'll ask people to rate how they're feeling on a scale of 1 to 10. We call it your energetic presence. And you might say like, Oh, I'm a 9 right now. I had a great weekend. Uh, you know, It's been a good morning. Or I might come in and say, Wow, you know, I'm a 4 right now. I got up this morning and my son was sick and had this whole thing. And you know, whatever it is, it allows us to kind of voice what's going on for us, where our mental and psychic and emotional state is before we get into the meeting. Because otherwise, what we find happens is people are preoccupied with whatever was happening beforehand. We don't know where everybody's at. There isn't this sense of empathy. And then if someone's not feeling great, they're kind of in the meeting trying to hide it and put on a front. And instead, when we can let our guard down and we can just kind of come as we are share what's really up for us, there's a sense of both connection and empathy that comes forth and presence because now people are able to go into the meeting with a greater sense of presence you know, because they've been able to voice whatever they're holding or whatever's on their mind and let that go so that you can be fully here. So those are a few of the, you know, kind of few of the practices that we do. Do you have set like hard and fast hours uh, that people have like shifts um, in terms of remote work? Because some of the things that like, I guess I'm, I'm also thinking in terms of distribution, so some of those things seem like like things that people could practically implement, um, like a stand-up meeting, yes. you know, the weekly meeting, like those kind of things. Yep. As far as things like in terms of like organizing around it, I know this is a surprise. Like I've been working online for so long, it's just natural to me. Right. But I know people going into it, it's like you're used to like a nine to five or something like that, or maybe even with your employees. What are your thoughts on that um, in terms of uh, distributed workforce? And do you have any? Do you have any kind of requirement that like? They be immediately accessible via Slack, or or what? How do you kind of, kind of, I guess, mold that or or configure that? Whenever you have somebody who is in a in a creative role, and that could be anything from software engineering to writing, where the flow state is really critical for them to do high quality work, they need to be in a distraction free space. Which is actually why I think uh, distributed software engineering teams is actually a great practice because the, en- the individual engineers have a lot of control over their environment. So we don't require people to be uber responsive on Slack. Um, we ask people to to take whatever they need, turn off their distractions to be able to get into the zone for periods of time and then come up for air and then check in. And so I think the key there is whatever you know whatever you need for your company, you need to come up with the guidelines and, and be clear about the agreements and guidelines. Uh, for certain roles like customer support, we might promise our customers that we have certain hours we're available. So those people, 
need to work in shifts to make sure that all the hours we promise are covered. Uh, for certain teams that are distributed across time zones, for example, our VP of design uh, works with our VP of product man- is based in the Netherlands, works with our VP of product management and our CTO who are based in New York City. Uh, and then they have some designers in the Bay Area. And so there's a lot of overlap in terms of the time zones. When it's 9 a.m. In, in San Francisco, it's already 6 p.m. in Europe. And so for, for teams that have wide geographic distribution, typically what happens is those teams will agree on some set of hours that are overlapping. So the Bay Area, those Bay Area designers might w- start working at 7 a.m. And you know, the, the, the folks, uh, the engineering teams, that they might be on a, sharing a squad on a squad with some engineers that are in Europe like they may work until 8 p.m., for example, so that they have a certain number of hours that overlap. And we let teams work that out on their own. Uh, the only things that we, we mandate is those, those Monday and Wednesday boost meetings at 9 a.m. Pacific are mandatory for 30 minutes. Um, and aside from that, we let people, unless they're in a role that, you know, again, like customer support, where we have certain hours that are required, we let them work it out with their teams to decide what working hours and ranges so that we can work well together. Yeah. With the uh, so so, I'm kind of curious on the um, the team meeting front. You had kind of gone over it, and you said how, how, some of the ways you kind of introduced it. What about so? Some of this seems like yes, like I get it, but then I also wonder, and maybe these are just excuses. Uh, how a smaller company yes. integrates this? How a startup integrates this? I feel like uh, with one of my businesses, like when we move so fast uh, that it's probably just an excuse. I find it like difficult to even wrap my head around um, how we'd like integrate that because we do a lot of like one-off meetings randomly. Um, we have people kind of distributed around the world too. Yes. And I just wonder like, I'd wear, but I'm not big enough yet where I have like a full-time say like HR person or, or, or manager or somebody that could, you know, integrate this for me. You see what I'm saying? So I think there's a, there's like a no man's land for this where people like the idea, but feel like maybe it's too big for them to accomplish. What, what, do you have any thoughts on that? And what do you mean by integrate that? I mean, some of these practices... Yeah, like, and maybe it's because I was looking at your website. So, and, and beyond just what you're talking about, and just thinking about how you run your organization, right? Based on kind of what I've read about it. And so I know you guys do like, you know, whether it's like uh, some of the stuff like, like check-ins and um, like the different goals and stuff like that, uh, the one-on-ones. Yeah. It's, so all of a sudden, it can kind of feel like, wow, that's a lot to bite off. Like, do I have the capacity to try to kind of build a culture around my remote work when it's like, I have so much work to do. I just feel like that's going to be a... Uh, yeah. Here's how I yeah. think about it. So, so, I mean, we started doing a lot of these things when we were even just three people, five people, 10 people. Um, and I like to think about things from a systems perspective and a design perspective in terms of, you know, what are the things that I think are essential for to build an extraordinary culture and to have extraordinarily high productivity? I think there's a lot of companies out there who, you know, you'll hear this in Silicon Valley, people saying like, oh, you know, uh, you know we want, we're, we're a sports team versus a family. Uh, for example, Reed Hastings of, of Netflix famously said, you know, we had to decide, do we want to be a family or do we want to be a sports team? We're the sports team. And what, what the people are saying that are basically saying is like, if, if we're calling ourselves the sports team, it means we're optimizing for or caring about results over relationships. And if we're saying we're a family, we might care about relationships over results. We might be light on you know, holding people accountable. Like I said, you know, we believe that 
you know, this is a false choice that you can care about both high performance and high care of people and culture. And, and at 15.5, we've won a ton of awards. We won number three on Glassdoor, you know, of all companies on Glassdoor with under a thousand employees, even though about 50% of our, our employees work from home. We've built an extraordinary culture despite the fact that people aren't physically connected and, and, and a high performing culture as well. We've been, you know, there's a number of, number of factors that, you know, we've driven very, very high performance in the company relative to the amount of cash that we've uh, invested in the company and burned and et cetera. And, and, and so when I think about doing that, and, and those are the, you know, the, are my intentions, I think about what are the things that just need to happen consistently and reliably over time. And then I ritualize those. I put those in place. I design them once. So you were getting into it. You were just going into... Um, so how... And I'm really kind of curious about this, how you, you design a ritual, then implement it. And, and then it can run, I don't know, without you or without you having... I feel like part of my fear too, but even I see it myself, but I know from the, the number of entrepreneurs, business owners I know and conversate with and like the idea of like pushing like, oh, is this just a new, new rock I have to push up a hill? You know, and so, yeah. So if you want to take it from there. Yeah, well, I think about these things in terms of uh, individual and organizational habits. You know, once sometimes putting a new ritual in place or a new habit in place requires some energy. You have to stop what you're doing, your normal way of doing business. You have to think about, you know, what are the outcomes I want to optimize for, um, et cetera, and then design something, put it in place. You've got to get buy-in from people. And usually there's like a one, two or three week period during which you know, it's new or different or uncomfortable. But then once it becomes a habit, you're just basically guaranteed that the right things are going to happen. So for example, with a weekly check-in, you're guaranteed that your managers are going to be having the right conversations reliably and consistently, even if they can't meet face-to-face every single week. Managers are going to be informed on how their people are feeling, what challenges they're facing, what their successes are. Uh, your, your employees who are doing check-ins they're reflecting on their week. They're looking at what's working. They're looking at what's not working. They're giving their peers peer appreciation. They're getting their own feedback. Because again, you know, when I talked about uh, the fact that we have a negativity bias, it's built into our psychology. Uh, typically, oftentimes, you, might, you, may, you may have had this experience. You, you finish a week and you're like, wow, I feel like I didn't get anything done. But if you actually go and write down and reflect on all the things you did, you might actually be surprised that you're in the moment impression of what's happening, what's going well and not is actually disconnected from reality. So when you actually do the reflection work to, to, to think through, what are the challenges I'm facing? What can I do better next week? What are my priorities next week? Doing that pre-planning, you have a structure to do it. What happens is you actually do much better work. So if you can create a structure that people just do it in a super lightweight fashion, you're guaranteeing that your employees are continuing to focus on and improve their productivity. Your managers are consistently informed. That leads into very, very, you know, already pre-populated, easy to do one-on-ones, which is also a key manager practice for high-performing teams. So again, you know, you put these things into place one, there might be a one or two or three week kind of adjustment period. And then it's like, set it and forget it. Like your, your company's just going to run much better for the next one, two, five years. Uh, same thing goes for, all right, if we're a remote and distributed team, and I need to have a team that really feels connected with a lot of psychological safety and trust because that's the foundation of high performance. How do I engineer psychological safety? So as a leader, you have to show up more. Your people can't physically see you. So doing all hands meetings on Zoom with video on on a frequent basis, not just once a quarter, but literally for a few minutes every week gives you a chance to, to actually have that connection for your people to hear you, feel you, see you, to understand 
you know, like you're the, like some one person told me as a CEO, you're the chief emotional officer. So your ability to kind of communicate confidence in, you know, even in the midst of a storm and to, uh, you know, in the midst of a crisis to communicate, like, here's where we're going. Here's what's happening. Being transparent, you know, allows people to kind of relax a little bit into, into your leadership. And so having that consistency, and again, by having it on the calendar every Monday morning, I don't even have to think about it. I just show up and, you know, I prepare and I get on and I speak. And so again, it's, it's, I like to think about, you know, what are all the things I can automate uh, in terms of organizational, organizational or, or individual habits and practices and rituals that are just going to guarantee that we're going to have the results that we need in terms of high performance, high empathy, high care, uh, you know, high psychological safety, high intrinsic motivation, all of that. And, and so that's, that's really where it comes from thinking behind it. Can you give a quick overview of 15.5, like specifically how it works with companies? Like, you know, and I believe that's part of what you guys do provide are some of those kind of exactly. tools and resources to help streamline that process. So just to give us some, some context, maybe some of the things we talked about, like some of the ways your guys' software or what you do kind of could fit in and some of these things that you'd be able to implement. I know there's probably a ton to highlight, but maybe one or two things. Yeah, no, re- really quick. So first and foremost, uh, 15.5 is a manager effectiveness tool. We talk about you know the outcome being high performing, highly engaged, high performing teams is is what we're trying to do, and we do that through you know creating an environment that really brings out the best in your people, and, and we 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 leverage a lot of uh, science and social science research and positive psychology, which informs the product. And the the, the first thing that fifteen five does, and where the name came from is it does it facilitates something called a weekly check-in between every manager in your company and your direct reports. So for me personally, I'm a remote CEO in Arizona. I have 10 members, 10 people on our leadership team. I've got one in Washington State, a couple in the Bay Area, one in Boston, one in Raleigh, North Carolina, one in New- two in New York City now, uh, one in the Netherlands. So you know, for me to be informed as to what are all the issues going on with my leadership team, you know, you would think is a pretty challenging process. Instead, what happens is they fill out this weekly check-in on a Thursday or Friday. Uh, it starts with how are you feeling about your work on a scale of one to five. They can add some commentary. Here's the priorities that I said I was going to do next last week and what, what actually got done. Here are my priorities for next week. Here's what's going well. Here are the challenges I'm facing. And then they get to give high fives to their, their team and their peers. So I get to log in on a Sunday night or Monday morning in you know, literally five minutes a person. So in less than an hour, I'm up to date on 10 people's lives. I've engaged in, in asynchronous dialogue. I'm asking about their challenges. I'm looping other people in to, to have a, a dialogue to potentially solve them. I'm seeing all the high fives they gave to their team and that their team gave to them. So I get a sense of like how they're being seen as leaders and what's going on. So I have this incredible dashboard of visibility into what's happening. And as I do that, I can flag things, maybe 10% of things that I want to now talk about live in our next one-on-one, which I do every other week. So it tees up a one-on-one agenda so that when I get on the phone with our VP of product management, I've got the list of five things that we're going to talk about. And so that's, that's kind of the core of the, the products is that weekly check-in. And then what we also do is we layer in objectives and key results or your OKRs. Some companies follow the Rockefeller habits or a book called Traction, the Entrepreneur EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, and they talk about their strategic rocks. It manages those as well. It's the same kind of kind of format where you decide, here are our top-level company priorities. We want to cascade those down to departments, to individuals. 
And we also want individuals and departments to kind of define their own objectives or rocks and priorities. Mm. And so those go into 15.5. And when people are doing the weekly check-ins, they're able to see, oh, here are the five things that I'm responsible for this quarter. And I can just quickly green, yellow, red light them. So at any moment in time, we might be six weeks into a given quarter, I can go into an OKR or rock dashboard and see, here's all the objectives that are on track. Here are all the ones that are behind. Here are all the ones that are at risk. I can have a dialogue with the owners about them to make sure that we're doing what we need to get them do, you know, get them back on track. So we create this really great alignment system, uh, which obviously also works extraordinarily well for remote and distributed teams. And then uh, that kind of caps off with a what we call a best self review, which is our form of a performance review that happens anywhere from two to four times a year. That's much more lightweight than an annual process, and that all of those weekly check-ins and one-on-ones inform the review because you're able to kind of go back through all that data. You're able to look at all the wins and challenges, uh, the results on the objectives. uh, And and the review helps you not just look back and assess how somebody did, but also then have conversations around what's next for them. What are their strengths? How are they leveraging them? What are they going to be focused on this next period of time in terms of their growth and development to take their performance to the next level? And so again, it just structures that conversation again. So, you know, ultimately, the product just ensures that you're doing essentially what the best managers in the world naturally do. And it just creates a structure so that anybody, you know, using it is going to basically do all of these best practices. I love it. So this is a lot of good stuff. I know people can go check out 15.5.com. And you guys are doing something kind of cool right now. Uh, so when this is live, this will be published probably in the next like week, I think, because we're trying to keep some of these things really topical right now. Yeah. Consider the circumstances. So when this comes out, it'll be April. If you're listening to this, I know you guys, I believe you're, you're offering some level of your software for free for the next uh, period That's of right. time, yeah, right? Yeah, through, through June 15th. You know, yeah. we, we, we recognize that a lot of people are struggling right now. And uh, especially with this move to remote. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're blessed in that we've been doing this for 10 years and, and we know how to, to run distributed teams and remote teams. But, but it's a, it's, it can be a real challenge when, you, when you're doing that for the first time. Uh, having that sense of disconnection, not knowing you know, how, how to stay informed and continue the right dialogue. So yeah, so we're, we're for teams of up to 50, you can get 15.5 free until June 15th as you know, kind of our way to support the community. Awesome. Um, and, uh, and you know, we've also got a great, great podcast where we've talked on a lot of these, these topics. And uh, if you, uh, there's also a Medium article, if you search on Medium, mm-hmm. there's a t- uh, titled CEOs and Leaders, Here, here's how to prepare for an extended period of remote work. Yep, uh, and that too has a lot of great information uh, that can support folks in a shift to remote. David, I love it. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us on the, in the trenches. I mean, it was an absolute blast, and thank you for just sharing your wisdom and, and advice with us today. I think uh, I think everyone's going to really appreciate this, and I can't think of what a better what better timing. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with us today. Absolutely, it was great. Thanks for thanks for having me. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating review. Just go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes, and that'll take you to iTunes where you can leave a five-star rating review. And that really helps spread the word about this podcast. And finally, if you need help growing your online business or generating new traffic leads and sales at a profit, reach out to me at tom at tomworkus.com or head over to the website tomworkus.com and sign up for the free newsletter. That's it for today. Stay frosty.